invite you to hear the lyrics to a song by Pat Barrett called Everything is Sacred. It's a prayer, really. Teach me that it all belongs, that everything is sacred. I eat the bread and drink the wine, but help me love my neighbor. Show me how to live this life, because I don't want to waste it. Oh, heaven is upside down. Oh, it can be here and now. Oh, seeing it all around, that everything is sacred. Now, it might be easiest to sing that song when you're looking at a picture like this. Can you put up my first picture? I know a couple weeks ago I started with the baby. I'm stuck on babies. Listen, I don't want a baby. Don't get me wrong. I'd like a grandbaby in the next five to eight years. I'd be okay with that. We're not moving along very well with that in my family right now, so just putting that out there to the Lord to hear. But as you look at that baby, what is that baby feeling? Something like unmitigated joy, right? What do you feel when you look at that baby? You feel your blood pressure dropping? <laughs> you feel your spirit lifting? It's contagious, isn't it? Oh, babies bring us joy. It's easy to say everything's sacred when you're looking at the face of a giggling baby. <laughs> I think I mentioned Anne Lamott says that she thinks God must smell like the head of a newborn. But it might have been difficult for the people of Isaiah's time and for Isaiah to sing this song, Everything is Sacred. Isaiah 6 opens, as you heard, with the death of the king. And the five chapters that precede chapter 6 are all about the punishment of Jerusalem and Judah because of their sin. Yahweh says a few things like this. I raised children and they rebelled from me. You bring your sacrifices and worship to me, but it sickens me, so I won't see and I won't listen, says Yahweh. The house of Jacob has abandoned its own people. Your leaders mislead you. The Lord will stand and judge the peoples. And on and on it goes in Isaiah 1 through 5, with some hope sprinkled in, which is always important to note. However, toward the end of chapter 5, we read these words, this is why the Lord's anger burned against the people. Then chapter 6, the king is dead, and Isaiah has a vision. His prophetic calling, some would describe it as, He's ushered into the throne room of God where angelic beasts worship Yahweh. The vision creates a sense of awe and wonder, doesn't it? And the vision reassures the prophet that the divine presence is not solely in the heavenly realm, but also in the earthly temple. For the beasts sing, all the earth is filled with God's glory. Did you catch it? 
Did you catch it? (laughs) All the earth is filled with God's glory. Oh, we need a transcendent God, don't we? And we need an imminent God. We need a transcendent God. That is the God who is outside of us, beyond us, over us. This God has been called the more, the indescribable, the mysterium tremendum, which means the terrifying mystery, the maker of heaven and earth, the beginning and the end, the alpha and omega, the first and the last, the one who was, who is, and will be. We need that God, don't we? That God of power and strength. But we also need an imminent God. We need the God who is here, as close as our very next breath. We need the God who shows up in Isaiah 66, 10, who says, As a mother comforts a child, so I will comfort you. We need the imminent God in Jesus who comes all the way down to where we are, who moves into the neighborhood and says to us, Do not be afraid. The the Bible's most consistent and best one-liner. And we need the imminent God of the Spirit, don't we? Who takes up residence in us. Read Romans 8. As Pastor Joe has reminded us, God is with us. God is among us. And friends, God is in us. Both the transcendent God and the imminent God are in Isaiah's vision. But like the people in Isaiah, we live in the real world, don't we? We live in a world where there is trouble and sickness and mental illness and poverty and it seems like weekly mass shootings and racism and sex trafficking and on and on it goes. And some of the pain of this life is out of our control and some of it we've actually brought on ourselves. Life isn't all about giggling babies, is it? You don't need me to tell you that. But we've been talking in this series about thriving in the Christian life. Thriving, not just barely hanging on, friends. Not just white-knuckling it until Jesus comes. That's no testimony to the world. We should be thriving in the Christian life. If we can't figure out how to do this here, how are we going to help anybody out there who's got these same questions? What club would I want to be a part of where the people are just white-knuckling it? We need to be people who thrive in Christ Jesus, who thrive in community. And we've suggested to you, Pastor Joe and I, that thriving comes about having a sense of belonging. It has a sense of being in community and by practicing gratitude and generosity. This is how we thrive. But again, there's this little thing called real life. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Real life can be such a bummer. How do we hold on to the truth as we've discussed that God is with us, among us, and in us? How do we remember, engage the truth that that to thrive is to make our home with God and that God will make God's home with us? Again, if we can't demonstrate this to the world, why would they ever want to come? They're asking the same questions we are. How do I thrive in this real world? 
So I want to suggest to you today that Isaiah's vision gives us a glimpse of how we might be resilient in the real world. How we might keep thriving and moving toward wholeness and healing even when things look bad. Is this a message anyone needs to hear today? (laughs) So first, I think it begins with worship. In Isaiah's vision, the heavenly beings are worshiping. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heavenly forces. They sing or chant or rap. I don't know what genre of music they're doing there. And you don't either, friends. But let's remember, as former president of Fuller Seminary, Mark Laberton said, worship is a dangerous act. Worship, if done well, consoles and empowers But it also provides perspective. Worship engenders hope, but it also includes conviction, confession, and repentance. And as the doorframe of the temple is shaking at the sound of the rapping of the heavenly beings, and the house is filled with smoke, Isaiah realizes, I'm a man with unclean lips living among unclean lips. Mourn for me, he says. I'm ruined, which applies that Isaiah is saying, I'm as good as dead. You with me? Are you ready to come into the temple of the Lord every week and be reminded of your sin? Are you ready to be filled with awe and wonder every week you step into these doors? Are you ready to be reminded that God is God and you are not? That could be a dangerous act if we're honest. But then what happens? A winged creature brings a glowing coal from the altar, glowing fire, It implies purification, doesn't it? And touches Isaiah's mouth and says, Your guilt has departed and your sin is removed. You see, the dangerous act of worship, friends, also includes the reminder every week that you are forgiven. Oh, that's reason to come alone, isn't it? Just just reason enough. Now, I've been in the church long enough, and so have you, that I recognize there's kind of two categories of people. I'm oversimplifying, but I'm a preacher, so I can do it. There's a group of some of you that need to come every week to be reminded that you're sinners. You do. You're getting a little too high and mighty. You think you got it figured out. You think you've been sanctified entirely. You think somehow you own this church. You need to be reminded that you're a sinner just like the rest of us. Why? Because when you are reminded that you are a sinner, it builds generosity, gratitude, and also empathy for others. Your hubris does not. On the other hand, I know there's another group of you that pretty much all you can think about yourself is what a horrible, terrible sinner you are. You need to come weekly so you can be reminded that you are forgiven. And sometimes that idea of being a sinner, it begins to creep, doesn't it? You're not just a sinner, you're a failure. 
You're not enough. You never amounted to anything. You've adopted the success story of the world, and so you feel like you're not measuring up, you're not contributing, and that kind of blends into your spiritual life. But you have been forgiven. You are loved. You are welcomed. You are God's child. Can you see how the mixing of the self-righteous with the sin burden can be a real problem in the church? It can, can it? That's why I love the Anglican church that begins every service with a confession of sin. Oh Lord, we have sinned against you through thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. When the church says those words together, you know what they do? They level the playing field in empathy, in gratitude, in generosity, enter God's home. Friends, worship begins here in the gathering of the body of Christ. This is the temple. This is God's home. We are God's home, and God wants to dwell among us if we're willing to enter into this dangerous act of worship. And we know, don't we, that worship isn't about music. It's not about musical styles or coats and ties versus jeans and T-shirts. Worship is about entering into the presence of God with awe and wonder and letting the Spirit do to us what only the Spirit can do. Sometimes it's conviction. And sometimes it's comfort. But it's always love. It's always love. Do you come to worship to experience the presence of God? Thriving, being resilient begins with worship. You will worship something, so you better make sure you're worshiping the right thing. But poor old, poor old Isaiah... Even after this experience of being forgiven, he then gets his prophetic calling. Did you hear it? And it goes a little something like this. Go and tell the people what's up, but they're not going to listen. Did you get that? Mercy. And Isaiah says, what? How long? And the Lord says, till it's all burned to the ground. Talk about a crummy job description. Talk about being set up to fail. But notice something. God isn't interested in numbers. God isn't interested in success. God isn't interested in monetary accumulation. God is interested in Isaiah's faithfulness. Faithfulness, I believe, is the second step in how we stay thriving in real life. Faithfulness is how we stay resilient in a pain-filled world. Remember, three key, key things happen in this vision, I believe. One, God reminds Isaiah who God is, the all-powerful, forgiving God. Second, God reminds Isaiah who Isaiah is, the sinful man that is forgiven. And third, God reminds Isaiah where God resides, in the earthly realm. All the earth is filled with God's glory. Knowing this, seeing this, living into this is the key to faithful, resilient, thriving in the Christian life. Everything, friends, is sacred. 
everything is sacred. Oh, don't get me wrong. There's always going to be trouble. There will always be Assyrians, Philistines, and legalistic Pharisees. There's always going to be sickness and death. And there will always be signs of the sacred. That baby is sacred. Can you put up my second picture? Human love is sacred. Love that lasts. Love that endures. Love that struggles. It could be love between a man and a woman. It could be love between friends. It could be love between a parent and a child. It could be love between you and your boss. True love, authentic love. Love that struggles. Love that pushes through. Love that never fails. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is sacred. Sometimes we miss that all around us. In September, Suzanne and I will have been married 34 years, 25 great years. It's an old joke. It's an old joke. It's always good. Never gets old, does it? It's sacred. It's unbelievable. It's beyond what she and I are capable of, frankly. Or what about this next picture? The Canadian Rockies. Creation is sacred. Oh, friends, I miss it all the time. Don't you too? Life is a gift, and the giver is good. All of these, and many more, are God sightings. I know it doesn't always feel like life is a gift, I know that for some of you, some terrible things have happened to you. They've been done to you. And it isn't fair, and it isn't right, and it isn't just. And you have every right with the psalmist, or the writer of Lamentations, or Job himself, to raise an angry fist to heaven and say, God, how long will you abandon me? But friends, I'm here to tell you that God hasn't abandoned you. Look around. Life is a gift, and the giver is good. It can be hard to see, but it's there. We have to cultivate eyes to see, and we need others' help to see. Because sometimes when I can't see that life is a gift, I need you to remind me. And sometimes when I can't remember that the giver is good, I need you to remind me. I love that Leonard Cohen lyric. There's a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. To thrive in the Christian life in the real world is to continue to be faithful and resilient, is to hold in balance the tension, if you will, that there is pain and joy. There is ugliness and beauty. There is sin and grace. Sometimes when people come to see me in psychotherapy and they're struggling with something, they think the goal is that they're going to leave happy all the time. Right? Akuta Matata, one of my patients said recently. I want Akuta Matata life. Do you know that from the Lion King? No worries. 
three cartoon characters living in denial. <laughs> I'm convinced that the greatest act that leads to resiliency is to faithfully see that the whole earth is filled with God's glory. There is no place, friends, that God is not working. I believe that. There is no place that is God-forsaken. I believe that. And I've been to Arizona. <sighs> Just miles of kitty litter. Just miles and miles of kitty litter. That's terrible, terrible preaching. Let me start again. There's no place that God is not working. There's no place that is God forsaken. There is no place so dark that light can't penetrate. No place where we can't find beauty and kindness. No place we can't experience if we practice it. Hope and grace and love. Now, we don't turn our face away from suffering. This is not everything's going to be okay sermon. I hope you don't hear that. But because we know the whole earth is filled with God's glory, we can actually enter into suffering. And sometimes we bring the sacred with us. Thanks be to God. Everything is sacred. Life is a gift and the giver is good. And if we can live into that, if we can practice that, if we can cultivate that, if we can ask for eyes to see and ears to hear, if we can have God's sightings, we can thrive in the real world. Mateo and Lauren are going to sing this song. I want you to pray as they're singing. I want you to spend some time in the throne room, just you and God today. And I want you to ask God something. Something like this. God reveals something to me today that is sacred, that I have missed. Reveal to me your earthly gift and sustain me in your goodness. Can you pray that prayer this morning? It might be a small thing. It might be a huge thing. Ask God to give you that God sighting as Lauren and Mateo sing this song. Teach me that it all belongs That everything is sacred I eat the bread and drink the wine But help me love my neighbor And show me how to live this life Cause I don't want to waste it no, I don't want to waste it. Oh, heaven is upside down. Oh, it can be here and now. Oh, seeing it all around. That everything is sacred. The ordinary shines and glows Fill with your intentions And you don't see the lines we draw 
of poet Amanda Gorman. Every day we are learning how to live with essence, not ease. How to move with haste, never hate. How to leave this pain that is beyond us, behind us. Just like a skill or any art, we cannot possess hope without practicing it. It is the most fundamental craft we demand of ourselves. Life is a gift and the giver is good. Life is a gift and the giver is good. Life is a gift and the giver is good. Life is a gift and the giver is good. Life is a gift. Life is a gift and the giver is good. Life is a gift. Life is a gift and the giver is good. Life is a gift and the giver is good. Life is a gift and the giver is good. Oh, heaven is upside down. Oh, it can be here and now. Oh, I'm seeing it all around. It everything is sacred. Everything is sacred. Friends, life is a gift and the giver is good. And to see that and hold that and know that, to see that the earth is filled with God's glory, even in the midst of pain and suffering, it's both end is the way that along with belonging and community and gratitude and graciousness, we thrive in the Christian life, not just white-knuckle it, but live a life that other people say, ooh, I want some of that. How do I get in on that? So I challenge you to go this morning and have some God sightings and name them and tell them to someone else and receive this benediction. For now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. By the power at work within us, to him be glory in Christ Jesus and the church throughout all generations. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.